Today we are starting the book of Acts. So that is short for the Acts of the Apostles. That's not a title that uh, Luke gave it. Luke wrote the book. It's part of a two-volume series with Luke, the Gospel of Luke being the first volume and Acts being the second volume. And so what we'll see, the, it, it starts out by explaining that. And somewhere along the way, people start calling it Acts of the Apostles um, because there are certainly apostles in it, but it's just a, you know, it's it's just a name. Someone's applied to it, as are most of the names of the books of the Bibles. People came along later and just gave it a name, which is often just the name of the author, which makes sense, or uh, like the um, Genesis is called Genesis because the book starts in the beginning. So a lot of them uh, start by the first couple words of the book. We see that Luke is writing to Theophilus and that he wrote in his first volume, the Gospel of Luke, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To those he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Uh, so again, what was he speaking about? The kingdom of God. He's convincing them he's real. They're seeing many convincing proofs, miraculous things, and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. So that is, again, as we pointed out multiple times in the Gospels, that was what Jesus came to teach. Um, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised which, he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So they, they began asking him, Lord, is it this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. So you see, then the same as now, people are drawn to the end goal instead of what is God's purpose. Well, God's purpose is a kingdom. He's, his purpose is a people that receive um, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, that they grow up as witnesses uh, for Christ in his kingdom and, you know, stewarding this kingdom, growing into this kingdom, bringing others into this kingdom. That is what we are told we are supposed to be about. Um, and, but their minds immediately go towards the end, um, which again, it's whenever I talk to people, um, uh, you know, Christians, that, that often comes out of their mouth that, well, we believe Jesus is going to return in our lifetime. Well, well, maybe so, but <laughs> if, you're, if that's your focus, you're missing what God is doing right now. And the things have, that have been foretold have to happen before Jesus returns. So you're invited to be a part of that. And if you're just focused on when he returns in bodily form, rather than him returning in many mature sons of God, then you're not going to be one of the ones <laughs> that he's doing his work in now. Um, so anyways, again, just... I know I've enunciated that many times, but uh, the Bible does too. So 
trying to make sure that's clear to everybody. So they're all looking on, and he's lifted up into heaven, and there's two men, it describes them as men, presumably angels, stood in white clothing beside them, and they said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. So that's interesting. They're actually making the kind of a point that I was just making that why do you stand looking at the sky? Why do you stand just kind of wondering, you know, if he's going to come back? He'll come back at a time you don't know, don't expect, and he'll just be back. Don't don't focus on that. So this was on Mount of Olives, and then it would, it's just like it's just right across um, the, uh, the little ravine. You know, it's on the little, they're, they're called mountains, but they're kind of like little hills. And uh, you go down in the ravine, then you go up the next hill, and then you're right in the center of Jerusalem. And and so they, they go back there, and the 11 disciples, uh, Luke lists them all out here, uh, that are left, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Um, and they're in the upper same upper room where they'd been before. And so apparently, well, I mean, we know from, uh, I think, Paul's writings, Jesus appeared to at least James, maybe all his brothers. And so now they have come to recognize Jesus as Messiah. Uh, whereas during his lifetime, they kind of mocked him. They, they were not recognizing him. They were trying to tell him that, they should, that he should go their way uh, rather than they go his way. But we see now that's changed, and they are of one mind with the uh, with the apostles. At this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, and there are about 120 people there, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out, and it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language that field was called Hakeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, so he's basically going to say, somebody who has been with us the entire time hearing the same teachings of Jesus that we have needs to be raised up so that we have 12 um, apostles of Jesus, or basically a, a leadership council of 12. Uh, again, you know, this is representative of the 12 tribes. This is kind of an important number for God throughout the history of his people. And so they, they feel like this needs to be done in order to kind of make this leadership council complete. So two men are chosen as uh, good options. One has three names, Joseph called Barsabas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Lord, you, Lord, you who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two who you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and they fell. the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. 
So now Matthias becomes the 12th. They just decided Joseph, Barsabas, Justice had too many names for them to, <laughs> to put in. And we don't have, hear much more about Matthias uh, in the scriptures from here, but he is uh, one of the 12 leaders at that point. And then we're on to Acts 2. And the day, so NASB calls it Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost had come. Uh, so Pentecost is the Greek version of Shavuot, which is the Hebrew the English NSB translates it Feast of Weeks. Uh, the, the words Pentecost means 50 days, Shavuot means seven weeks, if you're to do a direct translation. And uh, we, we see in the Old Testament, both are used, the seven weeks and the 50 days. And so uh, they, they both refer to how God said to count out the, this holiday. I kind of mentioned this today, the other day. Um, this holiday is determined by counting out seven weeks or 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits. So Jesus arose on the Feast of First Fruits. He appeared to them for 40 days in different places. I think he kind of popped in and out when it suited him. I don't think he was there. If we just finished John and John acted like he kind of disappeared for eight days after he had shown himself to them at one point. So I don't know how much time he actually spent with them, but over the course of 40 days between appearing and leaving again. And then there were 10 days where they were waiting for him, presumably in in large part in this upper room, uh, as he had told them to. And then the holiday, the biblical holiday, God had given Moses of Pentecost or Shavuot or Feast of Weeks. Uh, comes and so th- this is one of the three major holidays. Some people think they're a little more major, but they're certainly pointed out as such as the three holidays you need to get yourself to Jerusalem for. Uh, other people think all seven are just as holy. It's just that those three are named, and if you show up in Jerusalem for the first one and the last one, you'll be there for the others. This one stands alone. It's, you know, 50 days after the last uh, one. Although Feast, uh, Feast of First Fruits falls in the middle of the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's maybe slightly less than 50 days from the end of Feast of Unleavened Bread. But anyways, this is the other, this is one of the three major feasts that people were supposed to show up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. And so many people are going to be there as we're about to see. This is the holiday that, um, this is not written in the Bible, but it's a long-standing tradition that this is the day that Moses went up the uh, mountain and received the Ten Commandments from God. And so it, it commemorates receiving the law of God on tablets. And then we know that uh, Jeremiah, very specifically, but also Isaiah and others, talk about a time when men will not have the law on tablets, but written on their hearts, right? And so we're about to see that fulfilled on this holiday. So this holiday is no longer just a rehearsal, but it was fulfilled by God. Orthodox Jews still call all of these holidays rehearsals, but the first four were fulfilled. We're waiting for the last three to be fulfilled. This was the last of the first four to be fulfilled. Again, it was kind of 
um, that the first grouping was all about, this actually kind of came out in a family devotional we did yesterday as a family. Um, the first three were all about um, Jesus. This middle one, about the Holy Spirit. The last three are, are about a people, a family, a nation of God being fulfilled. So we see, we see the attention uh, of the trumpet. We see the judgment, you're in or you're out of atonement. We see the God dwelling amongst a people, many matured sons of God, a bride who has made herself ready, um, you know, a people who have a God and a God who has a people and no, uh, no mixture with the ways of the world. So those are the, the ones that we are, well, as I, we, as I write this, we are in that last one. Uh, Tabernacles, uh, Feast of Booths, Feast of Shelters, one of the kids' books called it. Um, this this holiday that we are in currently is this last one on the calendar, at least as we do our calendars January through December. It's the uh, Feast of remembering that when we as a people of God were in the wilderness and had nothing, he took care of all our needs. He was with us. His presence was with us. A fire by night, a cloud by day. He gave us food to eat every day, even though there was no food. When we came to a place where there was no water, water came from the rock. And he provided all of this. Our clothes never wore out and we never got sick because he was with us. So that's what we commemorate with this holiday and we look to him to see how he's fulfilling it. But getting back to Acts 2, this was the day when this holiday that had been given to Moses was fulfilled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they're all gathered there. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. There appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So the Holy Spirit of God comes and fills each one of them. And he's showing remarkable signs like wind and fire. And all of a sudden they're speaking languages they never knew before. And then we see there were Jews in Jerusalem from every nation under earth because it's during the holiday. They had all come back. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking... Sorry. So let me start again. Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? So there were Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does it mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. And so then this is when Peter comes and he gives his great speech, one of, maybe one of the best sermons ever given. And he took a stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, 
Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. So he's about to quote from Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood. Before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I believe that's uh, Joel 2, if you want to check that out. And then he continues. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So let's kind of break that uh, down a little bit. I don't know that I have a ton to say, but but certainly just pointing some things out. First, he says, we're not drunk. You know, uh, alcohol is often called spirits. Uh, can make a person of another spirit. But here they have been of a spirit uh, indeed, just not uh, just not alcohol, but the Holy Spirit. And so the people could see a change upon them, and depending on their hearts, they either saw there's something of God here, we just can't figure it out, or they decided, <laughs> you know, something very negative. And then he's quoting Joel, and he's showing the amazing things that Joel had prophesied uh, for our time. And so, you know, he... he he quotes that and he says, you can see this starting to come about. He says, you're all aware of what Jesus did. He did many miracles, signs, wonders, uh, and you yourself know he was delivered by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God to be nailed on the cross. 
uh, it was godless men who did this to him, but God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And then he starts to quote David. And he starts to quote how David said, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness in your presence. And Peter says, look, we know where David is buried. He's been dead a long time, and we know where his body is. Uh, this didn't apply to David, but David was a prophet, prophesying of the coming Messiah. And this was fulfilled in Jesus. And Jesus was in the flesh, a descendant of David. And so that also that prophecy about David and through David, it was fulfilled. And so he was looking forward to the resurrection of Jesus that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay, but God raised him up. God gave him the Holy Spirit. He raised up, and now he's given it to us, and that is what you are seeing. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, so he's quoting Psalm 110 here. Psalm 110 has got to be the most often quoted uh, psalm in the New Testament. It's quoted in... Uh, you know, by Peter, by Paul, by Hebrews, by Jesus. Um, it's often quoted. I bring it up a lot. It's pretty critically important, obviously, if it's quoted so much. And it starts out, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So we see a lot of the work of Jesus happening while he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father which implies, a, as other scriptures say, a bride making herself ready. Many sons of God ruling and reigning uh, in the kingdom before his final return. This is battle. If, uh, if you, Just off the top of my head, I'm certainly not direct quoting, but the rest of that, Psalm 110, talks about, uh, you know, your people will volunteer in the day. It talks about a battle. There will be a time when Jesus comes as overwhelming Lord, conquering King, uh, to bring about a, a kingdom of peace. But before that, a people are raised up who know the Lord, who lay their lives down for the Lord, pick up the cross and follow Jesus, and are used to establish his way amongst a people so that his kingdom is expanding the seeds are planted, new fruit is growing um, before the time of Jesus' return. If you put all the scriptures together, this is very clear in many ways. And so this has to happen before he finally comes and sweeps everything away. Um, and so, you know, again, this, this psalm is quoted here. This is, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So he is Lord and he is acting through his people by the Holy Spirit. Jesus laid down his life in the flesh in complete obedience to the Father. And through that, he earned the right of a new body, a many-membered body of those who volunteer and freely give our lives to him and go only where he says to go, do only what he says to do, so that his life is fulfilled in many He's not just as he told his disciples, Last Supper, it's better for you that I go, which seemed impossible. Like, 
would I love Jesus at the table right here so I could just, you know, talk to him in, in that way like they had? Absolutely. It's hard to imagine that it's better that he be gone. But as he leaves and instead sends his Holy Spirit, we each have him living inside of us. But do we give heed? Do we, you know, the world is loud and his voice is quiet. So do we shut out the world and seek him? Or do we kind of have a... You know, Seek him when we're in trouble, but for the most part, seek the world. Um, well, we're coming in a time where trouble is being raised up, so people will separate themselves from it and seek him and be filled with his spirit, that he will have one body of unified people in the world. So the people hear this, and they were pierced to the heart. It's interesting, the use of the word. Jesus was pierced in the side. Now all these people are pierced in the heart, and they asked, Peter, brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And, and he spoke many other words. He solemnly testified and kept on exhorting, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people came to Messiah, came to Christ uh, from this first big sermon. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they didn't just get baptized and go about a worldly life. They continually devoted themselves, continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So we see a new unity. We see communing together, fellowshipping together, praying together, and devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see that the people stopped having themselves as their focus. They stopped putting themselves as their own idol in their own heart, and instead were living for others, living for the good of the the fellowship of God, the people of God, and sincerely giving of themselves for the others. This was all very voluntary, which is very different than the way of the world, the way the world demands people give of themselves, and then they will distribute it to others. This way of God was that the people of God freely give of themselves for the good of others, both the leadership and the and the, those are, that are brand new to it, freely giving of themselves for the general wel- welfare, for the benefit of others. Um, you see how different this is from the way of the world. And, uh, and that's pretty much it, and where we'll end today. God bless you.